Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. I'm also the author of the Ready for Polyamory blog, which you can find at readyforpolyamory.com. It updates Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You can also find us on Patreon at Ko-Fi, bothofthose.com slash readyforpolyamory. So, today's episode uh, was meant to be about finding a sense of local community. And to talk about that, I reached out to one of my friends who has moved a great deal while being polyamorous and who currently splits her time between two different locations, uh, who is a counselor. Her name is Talia Grumberg. And Talia is a French Canadian who spends half the year in Montreal and half the year in uh, Mexico in Mexico City, and um, we met when I was at university uh, at McGill, and we've been friends ever since, and so basically, this turned into some old friends catching up, vaguely talking about polyamory, vaguely talking about local community, And I cut out a lot of the catching up and I left in a lot of the other stuff. And some of what's left has sort of patchy sound because of mediocre uh, internet connectivity. Uh, When you're trying to talk over Zoom internationally for like two and a half hours to catch up. And her kid ran into the room at one point and her partner ran into the room at one point and uh, her nesting partner that is. And we, you know, we talked for long enough that cutting this down was a really challenging uh, enterprise. Normal sound editing is like, oh, plan to take twice, maybe three times as long as whatever you're uh, editing. And instead, this was like a five times as long process because so much of it was wildly not what I was meant to be talking about. So, What is left, I hope, has a clear narrative thread about community in it and about finding your tribe and about finding your polyamorous people and how that can help you move forward in your journey. And uh, I hope that you find that valuable in listening to this discussion that I had with my friend Talia. Uh, And... Here we go. But for me, the most important part of being poly is the ability to um, start a relationship with somebody, get to know them, and really take it to the level where we can become uh, emotionally supportive of each other's lives and paths. Mm-hmm. 
So it's having um, multiple relationships that are emotionally intimate and supportive of one another, regardless of whether or not they're sexual, although much of the time for you, they are all of those things. That is correct, yeah. And um, I guess at this stage of my life, I have a primary uh, poly partner that I co-parent with. My son is four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've both been polyamorous before that for... I mean, he's been polyamorous most of his life. I started really exploring polyamory in my 20s, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was kind of, again, at the time, I hadn't really read a lot about polyamory, but I was solo poly for a little while until I I met um, a more stable partner. Prior to that, I had a bunch of monogamous partnerships that were were enduring as well. From 19 to 25, I was in a long-term monogamous relationship. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I was around 25 was when I really started to realize that the way that I love is not... um, a possessive or jealous kind of love like I really want the best for my partners and I want to see them as happy as they can be across a spectrum of relationships not just with me Mm -hmm. I feel like interestingly around 25 is also when I sort of made the shift from oh I'm in an open relationship but I have this like primary partnership that is very carefully protected to a more polyamorous like mindset like in my mid-20s is when that clicked for me Mm -hmm. yeah and um I guess with my current partner we don't we don't have it I mean I have some some other partners that, that don't live like currently I live in Mexico um so I don't get to see my other partners very often but I do have emotionally supportive relationships with them I mean we do talk online and we get to interact and when I can see them and we can travel to meet each other we do um, you know, we do say I love you and like anything else that you would think of as, as markers of those kinds of things in, in, in more traditional relationship models. But um, I would be really open to having a relationship structure that's more complex in the future. It's just we, the way we are in our little family unit right now in Mexico, it's a bit isolating. And the culture in Mexico um, around ethical non-monogamy is just really starting to take shape and steam. And I'm starting to make connections. But this, the cultural milieu here, in some respects, there's this, this undercurrent of machismo in, in, in present in, the, in popular culture. And it's very hard for people to understand what open relationships are like, uh, how ethical non-monogamy works. A lot of people are used to living on the down low. And I find when I try to explain my relationships to people, they're always like surprised that we're so open with each other and that we really give each other's space to explore other intimate relationships beyond Mm -hmm. sex, you know, more emotionally um, intimate relationships. Yeah. So that neatly segues into sort of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, which were mostly in the area of building into like finding a space for yourself in local communities. And because you live in two sort of wildly different places for what the local communities are like, I thought it would be interesting to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now you guys are living in Mexico and it used to be that you would spend part of your time there and part of your time in Montreal. And I don't know if you're continuing to do that or not, but it seems like a lot of your partners are still in that area. So mm-hmm. you're at least going to visit when you can, although 2020 has decided that no one may go anywhere for an indeterminate <laughs> amount of time. Well, that's exactly it. And I mean, I was really fortunate last year to be able to spend about five months in Canada. 
-hmm. in the last year. So last summer, this time, I mean, we went to Canada around May and we left in uh, September, Raven mm -hmm. and I, and then Edgar followed us a month later, approximately. Um, and yes, while I was in Montreal, I got to visit some of my poly partners, my extended poly network too, because again, I, I was part of a network of friends that you were a part of for a very long time. And in mm -hmm. fact, met, met most, most of the, many of those people through you. Um, and so I was really like fortunate to be able to connect with those people. And since then too, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm pagan. So I have a lot of co um, contact with the pagan community in Montreal. So I got to see some of those people as well. And it was, it was really nice to be there. And then to come back to this cultural milieu where I'm just starting to build connections is a bit of a challenge for sure. Um, and so uh, you basically said that in Mexico, the sort of understanding around some of these uh, alternative relationship structures, these especially open ones, is a little bit subsumed by cultural thoughts around cheating being not fine but in a way fine like it's something that happens but the honesty behind it not being so and I've found that a problem everywhere that I've been non-monogamous to some extent people go oh so you cheat <laughs> and I don't know do you think it's just that the local communities being supportive of non-monogamy are larger when you're in Canada than they are uh, when you're in Mexico? Or is it additional, like, that the organization behind it is better? Or is it just that you happen to have a friend group there that is more into that? I think it's a bit of both, because I'm starting to meet people here who are involved in polyamory as well. I live in Mexico City right now, which is, is one of the largest cities in the Americas, if not mm -hmm. the largest Americas, right? So, um, yeah, it's a question of friend groups, but yes, no, I feel in Montreal, by and large, it's a very liberal city, so there were a lot of people that were involved in polyamory, and it was much easier to meet people and network in that sense. Again, too, there's a language barrier. Like, I am learning how to speak Spanish, and I am functional in Spanish, but it's my third language, so <laughs> there's that part of it, too. And then connecting myself in terms of my own spirituality and, and some of the, the ins that I have with the pagan community, I have a coven of, I guess I, I can call them a coven, yeah, I have a, a, ser a series of friends who, who share a similar spirituality to me and often are, are very open about their sexuality, so that's, that's prompted a few discussions and meeting and networking here. And I, I've definitely met other people who are ethically non-monogamous here, but it, it's very few and far between, and I'm still making those links. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's the combination of it being generally less organized and also that the means to get into those organizations there are less available to you because of the language barrier that you're working with. That's correct, yeah. But I mean, the language barrier is becoming less and less of an issue. Uh, COVID definitely put a crimp in my dating life as it has to everyone else around the world. <laughs> yeah, to all of us. Yeah, no, I have, I have, uh, I was, I was asked out on a, on a date and I'm like starting a couple of new relationships just before pre-COVID and then like looking at how we're actually going to be able to spend time together or see each other like it's uncertain because I, I live with my, my, uh, my elderly in-laws, one of whom has a heart condition. So we've been, we've been self-isolating, you know, so I don't really want to like, I don't really want to start any new relationships net right now. I mean, we have some kind of online communications and such like that, but after I've met these people and they, they've expressed their intentions and we've just kind of like let it sit for a while and been like, well, maybe after this whole thing is over. 
so <laughs> well right yeah I've been sort of stuck in limbo because between my health uh which is in and of itself uh um an exacerbating uh issue for covid which is one of those things you like never think about some of these intersections and then it's like oh actually because your epilepsy reacts to fevers <laughs> uh and covid coming with extremely high fevers you need to hide in the house for several months uh so that's what i've been doing and my partner doesn't yeah, live in the same house as me so we've just sort of been sitting around and going well guess we're suddenly becoming good at phone calls even though we're terrible at phone calls yeah 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 well it brings out different aspects of the relationship when you're not able to be physically present with each other for sure well right and i've discovered that the only reason i was any good at long distance relationships before was that I could be in a not particularly long distance relationship and drive to see the person every two weeks. Like, I'm really bad at long distance. But so, one of the things about you that I really admire and that I've noticed a lot in uh, your sort of public presentation of yourself is that you are sort of very community oriented and uh, a member of several different communities in terms of like the music scene that you're involved in and the spiritual scene that you're involved in and the non-monogamous scene that you're involved in and it feels like you have a constant drive to keep your connections strong with people regardless of things like distance and viability of seeing them in the near future and things like this. Uh, and I wanted to know if you had any particular strategies for sort of helping ourselves get into a mind frame to help be those organizers, help be those people who fit the pieces together socially. Hmm, that's a good question. Um, well, part of my part of my online presence and part of my online persona really is about communicating with my friends that I've made, as you as you noted, from different areas. Um, I'm a socially anxious person, so as much as I can be very extroverted and my persona is very out there on social media, I tend to not go out a lot and stuff. It's actually one of the main frustrations of my primary partner. He's always like, you make plans and then you cancel them at moments. I'm like, that's my social anxiety speaking <laughs> right there, you know? Yep. Um, in terms of, I don't know, again, it's, it's, it's about like letting your light shine. I know it sounds a little bit trite, but letting your light shine and, and letting people who are attracted to what you do come to you. And I'm sure you've seen some of that with your own blog experiences recently. You know? um, it, it starts a dialogue with people and then you're able to, to, to kindle like friendships based on shared interests. Right. So you're saying that in general, sort of just being willing to be out there and put your thoughts out there helps people feel like you're interested in building those connections and building that sense of community so you don't need to be the person who's like organizing an event to help build that sense of community either locally or in a digital space no i don't think so exactly and there are definitely leaders in in all of our communities i mean i used to be part of the bdsm community in montreal as well when i was mm -hmm. there we used to go to 
parties all the time. And I clearly wasn't an organizer, but I made a lot of friendships through, and that that brought me like another aspect uh, of my own my own polyamory. Um, I started my relationship with my primary partner as a DS relationship, and then as I was growing into myself, and as I became a mother, our dynamics shifted a bit, and so so I don't know. It mm-hmm. just I feel like being who you are will attract the people that you're meant to interact with in a certain sense, you know. As long as you're you're willing and you're open uh, to to making new connections, that's how you can become uh, a, you know a better representation of who you are, and that's how you attract your tribe, so to speak. I think that makes a lot of sense, and it becomes sort of centered on people finding their individual community as opposed to finding the amorphous concept of community which people like to talk about a lot, but doesn't really exist in my personal opinion. Um, I feel like a lot of this podcast is me admitting the things that I'm not sure exist for me, Um, whether or not they exist in the abstract. And this is kind of a complicated idea, this idea of, where our communities are and what we owe back to communities in terms of maintenance and education and things like this. And I personally feel that at a baseline, people only really owe themselves anything unless they've made agreements with partners to be in those loving relationships and then they owe the care and support that they have offered and that's about it and applying the word owe to anything else is a little bit higher than the standard really is but that the people who choose to take on things like organizing and education uh are generally people I really admire, but I can't imagine mustering up the sheer amount of energy they must be expending. Like, the amount of energy I'm expending in putting together a blog and a podcast is already, like, a little bit mind-blowing to me. So people who are like, it's me and one other person and we're going to find the entire team that's going to put up this convention. Yeah. And I'm like, how on earth do you do it? Um, and mostly they just say, well, I didn't sleep for a couple of months. <laughs> and that to me is a nightmare. Well, <laughs> so. my, my, efforts, my educational efforts for other people. And I mean, it's not to say that I don't, do, do a lot of speaking around polyamory, especially in the cultural context in which I'm living right now. And I, I mean, I say mm-hmm. informal because li- it's literally like me going to a party and then people are trying to interact with me, you know, they're, they're flirting with me or they're interacting with me. And then I start opening up and talking about my relationship structure because I, I, I'm really to give people the impression that I'm single per se because I have a complicated family structure and most of my time is devoted to raising my son right now. So I don't have a lot of bandwidth and availability to 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 kindle other relationships, and I need people to know where I'm at. You know, mm-hmm. so usually the discussion about polyamory starts from there. But then people ask questions. Like I said, they're curious. How does that work? How does ethical non-monogamy work? What does that look like? You know, 
is it really, are you really able to be open? Like, what about jealousy? Like all the big issues that come out when you start mm -hmm. talking about the fact. And so then there's some like some uh, possibility to educate people a little bit. Although again, I don't really love going to an informal social gathering and then having to be the poly educator the whole time. Cause you're right. It is a bit draining for sure. You know? Right. Um, like, I don't mind sort of doing the, well, I will talk to you about this for around 10 minutes, but I'm not going to then have my night turn into doing that because as soon as it does, it is, as you say, yeah. very draining. Um, but I'm willing to give pretty much anyone a few minutes of like informal education aside from the sort of formal education that I'm trying to do with this for example which I'm happy that you signed on to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then there's the other aspect because of the online world that we that we spend a lot of our time and, and energy in right now is all the education right because I find it, it sparks a discussion but also like quality information from other therapists, counselors who are things are are great to start a dialogue with people. And I do get asked questions sometimes about those things, but it's usually not my content that I'm sharing. It's other people's content. Right. I feel like there's a lot of great content that's out there that doesn't get as much visibility as it should, that the internet makes it a lot more possible to spread that. And I've been trying to keep a less curated social media platform than I used to and let more people who aren't already my friends into it. Not for any of the uh, sort of baseline political reasons that I've seen a lot of my friends shrinking theirs, but for a sort of what can I amplify here point of view like mm -hmm. who is creating great content that I can share here um also recently for extremely political reasons that shouldn't be political uh because they're moral questions uh, but I also think that the personal is political and so sharing information about polyamory is in a way a political act um uh, but this is all a complicated question that is probably deeply influenced by the fact that I was raised by union organizers. We'll worry about it later. <laughs> well, I think for me, a lot of it is just about, again, uh, being authentic, you know, being authentically who I am. Uh, a big part of my spirituality as, as a pagan, as a witch, is to step into my own power through my path. And part of part of the, the my conception of how that is done is by being the most authentic expression of myself that I possibly can, um, and really cultivating uh, and undoing like the, the 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 conditioning that we were we were raised with in in some for example my parents had had a 27 year monogamous relationship um, I don't think that there was any infidelity though I'm not certain honestly. Um, but in, in, in any case, they didn't have a healthy relationship. They were very codependent. They, there was a lot of tumultuous like fighting and things in my house. And I, and I always, I guess in terms of the way that I was formed, like I, I didn't really, like I said, educate myself on polyamory until my twenties. 
but I always had a sense that I didn't want that kind of possessiveness in a relationship. I wasn't particularly jealous when I was younger in my relationships. And so like moving towards polyamory is a process of, of opening up and undoing the conditioning for like it is for many of us, I think. Right. I think for sure in learning how to deal with jealousy, a lot of people have to do a ton of work to consciously undo a lot of that conditioning because there's so much messaging through mass media, through things we're outright told, <laughs> and through seeing, for example, relationships like your parents where the jealousy is visible, mm -hmm. um, that the sort of tumultuous, jealous, oh my gosh, uh, how could you look at that person sort of interactions are made not just normal, but also admirable. Mm -hmm. Like, my mother has outright asked me, how do you know that someone loves you if they're not jealous about you seeing someone else? And it's a really hard question to answer because the, an the real answer is basically because I don't think that's a virtue. Like, I don't think it matters if they're jealous or not about a particular thing unless they then give me that jealousy to, scare quotes, solve. There's a whole uh, previous episode on jealousy uh, that people can go back and listen to in a couple of posts on the blog about it. But basically, it boils down to jealousy being sort of a check engine light for a whole variety of other feelings that you're having um that some of which may need your partner's assistance in unpacking but which regardless are your own feeling and yes some people find it easier to do this if they're not addressing that but also like they just don't feel that in general but some people may also just find it to be not that important that that's the moment that they're having. Uh, they can look at it and go, oh, it's actually that I'm angry that I don't get to do this particular thing. And we can have a talk about whether I can do this particular thing with them or with someone else at a later time. Mm hmm and it doesn't stop that they felt bad in the moment, but it also doesn't continue to feel bad. Mm -hmm. Well, um, as you know, um, I, I have the training as I, I studied psychology and I did, um, I'm a PhD dropout. I did my master's degree in clinical psychology in Montreal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was having my own mental health crisis in grad school and I, I took a step back and decided that I didn't want to finish my PhD at the time. But in terms of like counseling, I still have, um, I have a therapy practice. I'm not a licensed psychologist, um, but it is legal with my master's degree for me to practice in Mexico. And I tend to do teletherapy right now because of the current situation. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'm really happy about actually in my practices is that when I do advertise my services, I advertise them as being inclusive and poly-friendly as well. So I tend to get a lot of um, uh, referrals of people who are starting to explore polyamory for the first time. My clients tend to be younger, mostly. Um, and so I get to coach them through some of these kinds of questions and issues, relationship agreements. Lately, I, I, I've been 
I've been looking at some of these things and um, in terms of my own process, I personally have, have definitely experienced jealousy in relationships, but because of the training that I had and also my spiritual practice, I do a lot of meditation. So I'm often able to develop this observation of difficult emotions. So when I'm experiencing jealousy myself, it's like, take a step back and like you're saying, examine the roots of the jealousy, you know, don't identify with the jealousy entirely emotionally so that you go down a slippery slope of, 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 of attachment issues and all the scary things that can happen when your attachment trauma is peaked. And a lot of these things do go back to, you know, us having insecure or difficult or disordered attachments with yeah. our parents, right? Ultimately at the root so, or, or in previous relationships, relationship trauma. Um, so what is it in you that needs the attention? What do you need to focus on for yourself for self-care? What do you then need to communicate with your partner? That whole process, you know, you go through the process for yourself. And no, I don't believe that anybody else is responsible per se for our emotional states. Mm -hmm. So, so for me, it's very important to learn how to do the work for yourself when you're experiencing these kinds of emotions and then be able to communicate your process. Some people take longer to process. They don't know what's going on emotionally. They really have to sit with themselves first. And that's okay too. Sometimes you need to take space before you're able to communicate around these issues. Right. And sometimes you need to figure out that that's the case and figure out how to explain that to your partner in a tone that they don't read as angry at them for you having that feeling or needing that time. Like, it's not that they caused you to need that time. It's that you need that time for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you can come back and be constructive. Like, there's nothing wrong with communicating when you're in a heightened emotional state. But as you know, then things can be said that are hurtful or, or things are misunderstood and processed in, in a way that, that's hurtful. I mean, there, there's all kinds of reasons why it's good to sit with your feelings and really understand them before you communicate about them. Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those skills that, like, I know I didn't learn until much later than I should have. And it damaged a lot of the relationships that I was in until I picked up some of those skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that, that's the thing about polyamory is, like, we're all, most of us don't have a roadmap. Most of us didn't come from poly families, right? Most of us set off on our path afterwards. And we learned and we made our mistakes. And, and I mean, like resources like the More Than Two website, I really like because like they talk about the mistakes, right? Like they really do talk about the mistakes and the pitfalls and all kinds of things. There's all kinds of resources out there where you can see people's mistakes and learn from what they've done in the past and how you might want to do differently on your own path, you know? Uh, I'm going to quickly throw in a plug for Poly Role Models site instead of More Than Two and ask that people buy the book More Than Two rather than use the website uh, simply because there are accusations of abuse against Franklin Vo by not only his co-author of the book but several other women uh, who are ex-partners of his and he owns the sole rights to the website but has to share rights with his co-author. Whoa, thank you for sharing that. I wasn't aware. Thank you very yeah. much for sharing that information. Uh, I can send you the links to it if you'd like to read the various um, posts by the accountability process pods on both sides uh, throughout the last year or so that this has been unfolding. Oh my, well, thank you for sharing that. And I will, I'm very interested in that. Um, no, we can't support we can't support abuse in our community, especially especially from people who are, who are purported to be leaders, right? We really need to 
to get behind uh, people's people's right to their experience, but also no, I, I wouldn't support anybody who victimizes other people. Yeah, and um, the reason I like Poly Role Models is not only is it a pretty great site, uh, but and Kevin Patterson does a good job organizing it, but also given the context of right now and the protests going on in the United States where I am about racial injustice, he is a black man, and so uh, I'm particularly trying to push toward uh, his writing at this time. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing. Uh, but yes, the use of websites where people have outlined sort of the mistakes that they've made along the way, books that do the same. Uh, the Multiamory podcast is really good for going through various topics, and they have a very good search engine where you can search the subject that you have a particular question about and listen to the podcast wildly out of order, and it works very well. Uh, and I know pimping another podcast on my podcast is um, probably counterproductive, but there are 13 episodes of this and uh, hundreds of multi-amory, so they've covered a lot more than I have so far. There's a lot of love to go around in our community. It's just fine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's pie with just an I, not pie with an E. Uh, so, in general, if you're lucky enough to be in a place that has sort of local organized community or where there's been a very strong connection between local polyamory communities <clears throat> and local kink communities and you are comfortable with that intersection and you're able to go to those events, um, it's really helpful for finding sort of your first friends who understand this. And if you're not, uh, there's a book called Some, uh, What to Do If Someone You Love is Polyamorous that I recommend to family and friends of uh, polyamorous people so that you're not like left alone in a bubble just reading books and wondering if you're doing this right with your first partners uh, so that you have a friend outside of your unit that you can vent to. Because really, I think that's the most important part of building community is building community outside of your relationship network. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Given the uncertainty of the world we're living in right now, uh, certain kinds of political upheaval, people seem to think in the spiritual community that there are even weirder things about to happen in the next few months that we can't predict. There's a lot of jokes about aliens on the internet, but you know, like beyond that, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of community do I want to build for my family going forward? Like what, what kind of connections do I want to make? Uh, do I want to keep living this kind of uh, urban lifestyle that's disconnected from nature? I'm not sure, honestly. I'm going to have to see. <laughs> but again, that takes a community. Like we started, we started with the with the aspect of speaking about community, and so finding your your tribe in a certain sense so that you can you can you can plan for your family going forward. You know. Mm -hmm. And basically, finding not just a larger community so that you can be part of education and support for new people, but instead finding your personal community so that you can become an example 
is a very valid way to be looking at it. And I think from the amount that you were nodding as I said it, that that's sort of the part that has been rolling around for you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Connecting with people who, who are like-minded and people who have similar goals and, and want to see uh, the, the structures that we live in evolve in a certain direction, I guess. I mean, I'm with you and I, I am constantly thinking about sort of what I want for me, what I want for my children, what I want for the world around me to be in the small ways that I can change it. Um, and I'm trying really hard to not let 2020 create a feeling of powerlessness, you know, between COVID and the murder hornets and uh, the protests, which, so we're recording only about a week into these protests and they've accomplished so much but so far from their full goals that I sincerely hope that their full goals are accomplished by the time this airs because this is well near the end of this first 12 episode season of the podcast and really if almost everywhere hasn't committed to at least defunding their police I I'm going to be throwing a little bit of a fit by then. So, uh, yeah, I've been, closely, I've been closely following the media about what's happening in the U.S. all over the world as well, because I'm I'm very empathic and I've been absorbing a lot of like I've just been crying and crying and crying and crying about the plight of people in in the situations that they're in right now. Um, but again, like my city, like I, I, I can't, I can't single out the U.S. because this is, a, this is a systemic problem of racism that, that happens all over the world. And the current country that I live in, Mexico, has a huge problem with classism and racism. And again, too, very much related to skin color because people, native peoples here, people with darker skin are definitely discriminated against. The, mm -hmm. the social elites in Mexico City tend to be of European descent and much whiter skin and, and are therefore privileged. What's funny about me is that I clearly look like a foreigner and I'm very white, so I get the privilege that goes with that, but I also kind of dress like a hippie and I don't dress like I'm from an upper social class, so I get a lot of weird looks, like I, I get these alien looks, like what, what exactly is she? I can't really place her sort of thing, you know? Right. Why doesn't the outfit match the tone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and again, too, then when I start to speak to people and they realize that, you know, I come from, I definitely come from an edge, but I don't, I, I have, I have a lot of friends across class and race boundaries in Mexico, you know, to some extent. Um, and I, I find it like, I actually, as a white person, it's the first time I was ever referred to by my skin color in Mexico. There's an expression, huera, which means, you know, light-skinned person, and is used across the, the, across the skin tone spectrum, really, it's a relative thing. And at first I was like, that's, that's racist. Like, why would somebody refer to you by your skin tone, you know? And it happens to me, like, when I go to the market to go shopping or something, like, wera, wera, they're trying to get your attention. And it's not seen as, as, um, as something negative. It's not seen as any kind of, of, of racial slur or identifier. But I was always struck, like, why are they referring to me by my skin color? It made me very self-conscious. And this is, I, I'm sorry to even even mention this in the same discussion as, as, as what we're talking about. But to me, it, it was one of the first indicators of how, 
how strange it is to be living in a country where like this the privilege is so so uh visible you know like i i I I knew always like I was not aware of the level of privilege I had until I came to live in Mexico. And then, you know, I'm starting to learn more and more about my privilege as 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 I do more research and, and read more given what, what the current political climate is. And I just, you know, I, I don't even know how I'm possibly going to be able to educate myself enough in this lifetime right now. <laughs> it's very daunting. Yeah, it's a time when no matter where you are. Uh, a lot of things are being brought to the forefront that are giant systemic changes. And so it becomes even more important to sort of, as we've been talking about in general, find your tribe and pull together with people mm-hmm. so that you can support the empath in your local network so that you can hold each other up in the different ways that you need to be held up right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like, I hope, like I said, what you said earlier about when this airs, I mean, I hope that like Minneapolis has already, has already vowed to to defund the police force as it stands right now, it seems from what I'm reading in the media. Um, And I hope we keep going in that direction because this, this police brutality and racism is a problem. It's it's a pandemic in the rest of the world. It's everywhere. Yeah, it is everywhere. It's It's just a matter of degree. Yeah. Degree and degree of armament, which Mm -hmm. uh, some of that is a pretty uniquely American problem. Although in other places, it's also a problem. It's just that they at least are open enough to call them military police. Um, As I think to all the translations I've done from South America. In the past few weeks, somebody was killed in uh, in near Guadalajara in the state of Jalisco because they refused to wear a mask. And it's not it's not a pan regulation in Mexico. It's a suggestion by the government. Mm-hmm. But this this person was on their way home from work. They're uh, they were a tradesperson, and they were beat. They were again similarly as to what happened to George in, in the U.S. Were, were 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 choked to death by six police officers and that sparked that's what started to spark the the anti-police brutality protests here there were some in response to what's happening in the u.s currently but the the majority of them that have started in the last few weeks were in response to this particular killing right places everywhere has their own grievance to uh be dealt with in the area of racial inequality and the state application of racial inequality that's usually in the form of damage by police. Um, So I guess just to circle back before I hit the stop recording button, and I will cut this to pieces in post because that's how life works. Um, But just to sort of circle back, It seems like the central theme that we've landed on is that no matter what cultural context you find yourself in, continuing to be yourself will allow you to find uh, support and intimacy and emotional connectedness with people. And that that is essentially the core value of polyamory in that it's opening yourself to that 
intimacy with multiple people. Absolutely. Yeah. Connection. It's about connection ultimately. So thank you to everyone for listening this week. And thank you to Talia for speaking with me today. Um, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ready for polyamory on Ko-Fi at Ko-Fi.com slash ready for polyamory. Of course, the blog is at readyforpolyamory.com and updates on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, our intro and outro music is, as always, provided by the lovely Vince Conaway. And you can find all of those links and more information in the notes. Please feel free to leave us comments here on the post at the blog or anywhere else that uh, we've got this information up so that we can have a conversation with you about it. We're happy to have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.